While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From an that pretty gal to Georgia. In a previous episode, we talked about the Romeo and Juliet style romance of Sauti and Nicucci, two young people from different Native American tribes who fell in love. They ran away together up Yona Mountain, but then they were found by Nikuchi's father. Sauti was thrown over the side of the cliff and killed. Nikuchi broke away from her father and joined Sauti in death. She jumped over the cliff as well. We've heard this story before in many different cultures, and we're going to start today with the story of Hiawasi, whose name probably means pretty fawn, and like Nikuchi, I only spell correctly about one time in three. Two S's and two E's. In this story, the Cherokee are at war against the Catawba tribe. The Catawbas are best known for living further north, in South Carolina and North Carolina and parts of Virginia. In fact, they don't even get an article in the New Georgia Encyclopedia. Either way, the Catawbas were at war with the Cherokee, and Natalie, the son of the Cherokee chief, captured the daughter of the Catawba chief, whose name was Hiawassee. The two fell in love, or Hiawassee developed a bad case of Stockholm Syndrome, and he decided, this is Natalie, decided to risk his life and return to the Catawba land and ask for her hand in marriage. Hiawasi's father didn't say no, and he didn't say yes. He did something the characters in legendary tales always seem to do. He answered Natalie with a riddle or a task that everyone assumes is impossible. Hiawasi's father explained that the Catawbas drink the water from the west and the Cherokee drink the water from the east. He said if Natalie could find a place where the waters unite, he could marry Hiawasi and merge families from both tribes. And when you look at it, it really seems like the chief is using this whole thing about the water mostly as an example. He's basically saying, we have our space. You have yours, and since nature doesn't bring the two together, why should you? It's not a bad point. He just, you know, could have worded it better. But being young and in love, Natalie set off to find just the spot where the waters of the Cherokee and the Catawba met, and he found it. One afternoon, as he rested on a mountainside, Natalie saw two fawns walk off together and drink from a lake, a lake that was fed by two streams, one from the east and one from the west. He ran back to where Hiawasi waited for him, probably, you know, waiting for him to come to his senses and demand the wedding be allowed instead of being so literal about her father's example, and told her, that he had located just the place. She shook her head and explained that her father still wouldn't permit him to marry her and that the whole stream thing was just a metaphor and their marriage would never happen. So they decided to run off together and live near the lake that he had discovered. And this is kind of an unusual ending for this story. They lived out their lives in happiness in that area that later took Hiawasi's name. There's a little more to the story. Okay, this is Moving Through Georgia. We're on Series 3, Episode 1, Water and Blood. 
in Northeast Georgia. We're going to divert for just a moment to the Carolina colonies at the start of the 1700s. Settlers in the Carolinas regularly traded with a Native American tribe called the Yamases, who mostly lived along the Savannah River. The Yamases supplied deerskins to the settlers until overhunting started to deplete their supply of deer. The Yamases tried to trade other items and possibly even members of other tribes that were taken as slaves, but it didn't do any good. The tribe was deeply in debt, and settlers were beginning to intrude upon their land. Eventually, the Yamasi were backed up against the wall by the settlers and the traders, and they eventually rose up, killed some of their creditors, and attacked a few Carolina plantations. This Yamasi rebellion was joined by some neighboring Native American tribes, such as the Creeks and the Cherokee. The causes and the results and the details of the Yamasee War could be a podcast in itself, but suffice it to say that the rebellion was put down eventually, it always is eventually, and the Yamasee were driven out of their homes and south to southern Georgia and Florida. Some of their allies still in the Carolinas continued the fight, however, and they needed to be dealt with. One of the things the Carolina settlers were really good at was turning one side against the other. They would alternate helping one tribe, then the other, keeping them conflicting with each other instead of uniting and turning against the settlers. So the conflict between the Creek and Cherokee built up in this area. And for a while there, it looked like the Creek were winning until the French and Indian War broke out, and sometimes we call that the Seven Years' War. And the resulting treaties designed to reward allies and punish enemies meant that the Creek were relocated out west and some Cherokee returned to the Nautilus River Basin. Again, we're glossing over a lot of details. I'm just giving you the basics. What I'm actually building up to here is one of the largest battles between the Cherokee and the Creek, which took place in 1755 in a gap between two mountains. And you want to guess which ones? Blood Mountain and Slaughter Mountain, two mountains that retain those names today. There is some scholarship that suggests those two places may have been named after some battles between the Cherokee and the militias trying to force them out of the area after the revolution, and I've actually heard two or three other origins of those names, but the most common is the battle between the Creek and the Cherokee in 1755. Either way, a lot of blood was obviously spilled on the sides of each mountain. Around Halloween, I posted a short podcast about the Moon-Eyed People from Cherokee Legend, and we revisited them again in the Early Early Georgia episode. However, they are not the only supernatural inhabitants of that area. James Mooney's book, Myths of the Cherokee, talks about the Nunahi, or immortal people who lived in northeast Georgia and the Carolinas. He explains that they were mostly invisible, but would sometimes allow themselves to be seen. Countless stories describe drumming or chanting inexplicably coming from the mountains, and this is credited to the Nunahi. They were actually a blessing to the Cherokee, and they would assist lost travelers or even go to war to fight on the Cherokee's side if necessary. 
One of the most famous and retold stories involves four Nunahi women who attend a tribal dance. When a Cherokee man tries to follow them to their home, they disappear into a stream. I've actually read this story before in my first extra episode, except the version I read has the women being followed to their actual home in a cave and the whole event takes place near Tallulah Falls. Native Americans, Cree, Cherokee, and others lived in the area that is now Union and Towns County for centuries. One of the lasting marks that the Native Americans left in the area are the petroglyphs at Track Rock near Blairsville. Blairsville is named after James Blair, who served in the American Revolution. He's going to get a short episode of his own. And again, I'm going to friend of the podcast, James Mooney, for a description. He says the Cherokee named the place, well, it's something I can't even hope to pronounce correctly, but it means where there are tracks. The Cherokee were fairly straightforward in naming places. There are shapes, glyphs, and animal tracks all over the site, and even in 1902, Mooney mentions that many petroglyphs had been cut away and removed by curious tourists. Mooney quotes some ethnographers who came to the area before him who claim that the Cherokee themselves didn't even know who carved the glyphs. And some of their Cherokee sources attributed them to the Moon-Eyed people. Here they are again. Another story describes the living things of the earth being destroyed in a great flood, all except for one family who saved the local animals in a great canoe. When the waters retreated, the canoe came to rest in that area, and the disembarking animals left their tracks in the now softened rock. Or, as Mooney does finally suggest, hunting can be a long and sometimes boring process, and the generations of hunters who passed through the area may have paused and carved a small good luck token into the rock tried to go there a few months ago, but the area is closed after some vandals damaged some of the glyphs, and hopefully some means could be found to preserve them in the future. Okay, this is great. I'm glad to be back. I am a teacher, and this is my summer project. Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast focusing on the history of Northeast Georgia. If you like what you hear, if you don't like what you hear, if you have some comments, movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. The area that is now roughly Union and Towns counties reminds me of some parts of the Northeast where the history of the Native Americans is blended almost seamlessly with myth and folklore. Brasstown Bald, or Enota in the Cherokee language, is right on the border and it ties in with that story we talked about of a great flood in the region. Apparently, when the waters receded, the people left their canoe, but the land was ruined by the water. They had no game to hunt, the animals had to repopulate, so some kindly spirits or Nunahi cleared the top of Brasstown Bald to make clear land for farming. It's a climb I made this summer, and I did keep my eyes out for Nunahi. I kept my eyes out for any invisible people that might be in the path, and we didn't see any, but I did see my first bear in the wild, so it was very cool. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. 
Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an a deputy gal to Georgia. That's all.